Good evening. Tonight we're on our second lesson having to do with our Bible study this year on putting your faith into action, a study of making goals and attaining them. And we're using the book of Nehemiah that is a phenomenal book on leadership, but not just leadership, on how to set a goal, how to attain a goal which for high school, college students, and even adults, this is something that is very important, very relevant. Many of you high school kids are trying to figure out, what do I do with my life? Some of you in college are wondering, am I in the right field? I've already changed four times, uh, which is normal. But today, we're going to be looking through this book, and we're going to see about setting a goal. Now, last week we had our introduction. We got introduced to Nehemiah, and we found out that he was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, um, and as we saw his history um, in the, just the overview of the book last week, we see that he leads a group of Israelites back to the uh, city of Jerusalem to rebuild it, to build houses, to rebuild the wall, um, because it was still in shambles. He makes so many decisions in this book, and because he makes so many decisions, because he is setting goals, and the way that it's written, it shows us how he attains the goals, how he accomplishes them. And that is a key feature that we're going to see throughout this whole summer studying the series. Also, as I pointed out last week, we're going to parallel the life of Nehemiah with Truman Robertson. Now, Truman Robertson is the founder of Fort Wilderness. And this is the 60th year, our 60th anniversary of Fort Wilderness. And that's one reason I am I picked this study because I really felt God, as I was praying, God, what do I do for the 60th anniversary? And this just really just came out of the blue, like God just saying, hey, this is what you need to do. Let's do Nehemiah and show them how to attain goals because the goals that we've met here at Fort Wilderness in the 60 years shows and glorifies God. And that's what we're looking at. So tonight, as we get into this, tonight's lesson I'm entitling, Setting the Goal. Setting, setting the Goal. And we'll be looking at the first two chapters uh, of the book of Nehemiah. But let's begin with prayer and we'll get started. Father, dear Father God, we thank you for this opportunity of coming together that we can meet here. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit will just move among us Control our minds and, Lord, teach us. It is your Spirit, God, that does the teaching. Take the words that you've given me, Lord, and as we examine the Word of God, let it just speak to us. May your Holy Spirit use what you have given us, the words you have put down in your Holy Word. The Lord, help us to see about setting goals. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When Truman Robertson began Fort Wilderness, it actually began with prayers. Back in 1956, he was the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church right here in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. Church is still there today, the church building. It's still, um, still housing Calvary Baptist Church to this day. Matter of fact, if you go in the basement, you'd even see some pictures. Uh, the last time I was in there, I saw pictures of the Robertson family still adorning some of the walls downstairs in, in the fellowship room. But anyway, he was leading that congregation back in the 1950s, in their walk with God. But 
Being a pastor was one thing that God had instructed him to do, but he had a much larger goal than just that church. God had put something else on his mind. He knew that God was leading him to build a camp where God would be glorified and his kingdom would be expanded. So he had this dream that God put in him. Now Truman had already started uh, a camp before and actually had worked at many other camps. He'd lived down in Chicago, but now he's the pastor here in Rhinelander at the Calvary Baptist Church. There's a little problem, though. In trying to set up this camp, Truman had a couple of obstacles to overcome in setting up and attaining his goal. Basically, the two biggest problems he had is, one, he had no money. Trying to start up a ministry with no money is a little difficult. The second thing, he had no land to build the camp. Well, one day while he was pastoring there back in the mid-1950s, one day uh, some friends of his from Chicago, Al and Ressa Siebert, they dropped by and stopped at Truman's house uh, on their way further up north in Wisconsin to go on vacation. And as they visited, they sat around that evening uh, around a campfire. And Truman told them about how he felt God calling him to begin another camp in the wilderness area of Wisconsin. Well, Alan Ressa sat there and they listened and they talked about it and everything, and they could probably hear the passion in Truman's voice. But as I said, they were on their way on vacation. They just stopped here for the night. Next morning they were up and they were gone. But time passed and prayers were going up during this vacation. On their way back home to Chicago, they stopped by to see Truman and Jan, and they told them what God had put upon their heart. They promised to give $4,000 to get the new camp started off. Now, they insisted that this was going to be a gift. It was not a loan. It was a ans an answer to prayer is the way that they phrased it. It's an answer to prayer. God put it upon our hearts, this is a gift. So, the answer to that prayer was actually the beginning of Fort Wilderness, where thousands of people, I mean literally thousands of people, have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord. But it's also a place where marriages have begun. People have found their spouses here. I don't know how many there have been like that. My daughter was one of those. My daughter Heather found her husband here at Fort. Many marriages have been started here. This is also a place where many marriages are healed. We run marriage counseling camps here and uh, dozens and dozens of marriages have been saved. Yes, the Spirit of God moves upon people here and influences their lives, bringing Him glory and adding to His kingdom. But you know, it all started with just a vision. It all started with just a dream. It all started with just a simple goal. Nehemiah had a very similar circumstance. He was the cupbearer, he tells us, to the king. Now, for those of you who do not understand what a cupbearer is, it's not just the person who sits and drinks right before the king. That's part of the job. But the cupbearer was a special person in the king's court. It was a position of rank. It was a position of importance, of trust, and of confidence. 
Ancient writers often wrote about the influence of the cupbearer upon a king or a queen. You see, they were the most trusted of friends. The king is putting his life in this person's hand. So, because of this, you know, the, the cupbearer eats and drinks anything before the king does, so there is a great deal of trust and confidence here. Often, an intimate relationship exists between the cupbearer and the king and queen. So he was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Now, just think about this. Nehemiah had a great life. He's at the pinnacle of his career. I mean, you can't get hardly any higher, much higher than anything outside a cupbearer. You have the king's ear. You have his confidence. It's a soft job. It's a rich job. The cupbearer has the best clothes to wear. You're always going to be in the best clothing possible, tailor-made clothing and stuff. He would have all of this. He also had, think about it, the absolute best food, the best wine, the best drinks, everything. Cozy place to live. He's right in the palace. Whenever the king's going to have like a midnight stack, the cupbearer has to be right there. So he has to have very close access. It was the dream vocation of many in the ancient world to serve as the cupbearer. I know some of you are probably wondering, can I major in that in college? Mm, not really, no. Uh, it was the dream vocation. I mean, Nehemiah was at the pinnacle of his career. Now, it would be very easy to see Nehemiah just sitting out the rest of his years to retirement in this occupation. Just as we could see Truman Robertson sitting out his years as the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church. That church was doing great. It was moving. God was moving upon the people there. The kingdom of God was being added to. The people were growing in their relationship with Christ. All of this was taking place there. Truman could have easily just sat it out. But God did something to both of these men. He gave them both a vision. He gave them both a task to fulfill. For Nehemiah, his world began to change the day his brother, Hanani, came and visited him from Jerusalem and told him of the wretched condition the city of Jerusalem was in. Jerusalem, once the capital of Israel and Judah had been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians in 586 B.C., and the great temple that Solomon built was destroyed. The city walls were burnt, houses were destroyed, the city literally was demolished. And when Nehemiah heard from his brother the condition of what the capital of his nation was like, he tells us that he went home and cried. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Let me ask you a question. How do you act when bad news comes? Have you ever had a situation that left you totally crushed? Have you ever heard of a plight that made you want to do something because you felt like you could do it, but there wasn't really anything at that point you could do to fix it? Have you ever heard of somebody who was suffering so badly and going through such a terrible hardship and you felt like wow, I really want to do something about it, but there's no way, really, it seems that you can help? Did you ever feel like there was something terribly wrong 
and no one was coming forward to help. Well, if you answered yes to any, yes to any of these, you have an idea of how Nehemiah felt at that moment. Jerusalem was demolished, and not just demolished, it was an embarrassment to the entire Jewish nation. I mean, this was the city that God chose to make a light to the Gentile world. This was the city where he said, my name will be honored and glorified. The Jews were selected among the nations of the world to be God's chosen people, to be a light, that he would give this nation and this nation only his word. They were his special, special people. A race to shine on the Gentile world. He even put them in the land of Palestine, the crossroads of three great nations, the Hittites to the north in what is today Turkey. You have the Egyptians to the south and to the east. You've got the Babylonian Empire. God placed them right in the crossroads. Thus, and because these are major roads, there's travel and commerce going through here, God strategically placed them right in that spot to be a light, to be his light to the Gentile world. They were to have an influence on all of the nations. That's why God stuck them right there. But the Jews, hmm, God's chosen people, deserted their God, deserted God and committed adultery with Gentile gods. They divorced the God of heaven. For what? For their idols made of wood, stone, and metal. So, God punished them. After warning them many, many times, their time ran up, and he punished them and destroyed this once beautiful city. All was not lost, though. Nehemiah cries, it says, when he hears the news, but he does something else, too. You notice I didn't read the whole verse. No, he does something else, too. Look at this, because this is the first stage of setting a goal. Nehemiah 1.4, continuing. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, this is not going to be the only time we're going to read about Nehemiah seeking God in prayer. His book has this frequent. You see, when God puts a goal in his mind and inspires Nehemiah to accomplish this task, you notice what Nehemiah doesn't do? He does not go running all over the Jewish settlements, telling everyone that, hey, I just received an inspiration from God, and you all got to listen to me because it's from God. You got to listen to me. He doesn't do that. He keeps quiet, keeps his thoughts to himself and to God. Now I want you to notice something absolutely amazing. Time passes. And Nehemiah has told no one of his plan. He has kept this between himself and God up to the right moment. Let's skip over to chapter 2 and look at the first five verses of chapter 2. Let's read this together because this is fascinating. And this is telling us how we're supposed to act when God gives us a goal. Starts off in verse 1 of chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was, pres uh, was before him, 
I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to, Ju to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Now, did you catch how long, in chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, how much time has gone on? How much time God, or Nehemiah, has been seeking God's will on this? Back in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, it says he got the word from his brother in the month of Kislev. That's roughly our, because we're in a different type of calendar, November, December. And this would have been the year 446 B.C. So in around November, December, he gets the news about Jerusalem. So he starts praying. Now, in chapter 2, we see that it's the month of Nisan. That is roughly like March, April, the following year, before 45 B.C. Did you catch this? Four months has passed. Four months. And Nehemiah hasn't said anything to anybody. He's just been talking to God. Four months. Now, some might say, boy, what a waste of time. You, made a, you felt the goal coming, and you sit for four months doing nothing? Four months of doing nothing? What's the matter with you? No, 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 no. <laughs> Something major was occurring during that important four-month period. Prayer was taking place. Now, I want to point something out to you that's very important about prayer. Nehemiah was to become, as we know today, a great leader of the people. He becomes the governor. He had the marks of, of a true leader. And one of those key marks of a leader is he knew when to pray. We, too, can learn from this passage here, as we have visions as we have goals, when we feel God putting a task before us to accomplish, we need to follow Nehemiah's example and pray. There's four benefits that we will come across when we do this. One, by spending time in prayer before we act on anything, it makes us wait upon the Lord in His timing, not ours. We have terrible timing. God is very dramatic. He has a special time thing set for everything. Second, by waiting in prayer, it will clear our vision. Gets clarity is added to it. We start seeing things. We dwell on it. We meditate. And God's Spirit speaks to us and helps us to get a clearer idea. The third thing is it removes our worry and our anxiety. Prayer is remarkable for that. Medical studies have even shown by praying, if you're anxious, it does calm you down. Praying can actually lower your blood pressure. I've read medical papers on that. And fourth, prayer activates our faith. No, this is not a waste of time, folks. This is time put to good use. Thus, when you have a vision, 
or even a lack of a vision. If you have lack of insight, talk to the Lord. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, you don't have to look it up, I'll just tell it to you, but if anyone is deficient in wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without reprimand, and it will be given to him. Now, the word wisdom that James uses, this is in the New Testament, thus it's Greek. The word here for wisdom is the Greek word Sophia. That is also the same word that is often used for the word insight. If you are looking for wisdom, if you are looking for insight on what to do, ask God, pray. So Nehemiah spends four months praying. I don't think he prayed just one day and just sat around for four months eating bonbons and drinking the king's wine. He was spending time in prayer. We see because his life is constantly having to do with prayer. So we can get a very good idea what Nehemiah was doing. He's spending four months in prayer. And that's not all he did. No, he did more too. We can see this as we read this. While waiting for God's timing, you notice that he had set a plan in order on what to do. He had a key, a key goal of what to do. He's made a goal-setting stride here. To set a goal is to have a vision or a dream, but to make it work requires prayer and planning. We know Nehemiah is just not sitting around just praying to God and waiting for God to do everything. We often find Christians, I find myself sometimes, doing that same thing. Oh, I see something, well, I'll just pray about it and let God do all the work. I was listening one day to Chuck Swindoll. I love listening to Chuck Swindoll on the radio, and he was talking, and he, I don't know what the series was or what he was actually saying, but I remember him saying this, and I quickly wrote this down. Um, he once said, speaking to Christians, to guard against the subtle teaching that suggests that God does everything, and you step back and do nothing. Nehemiah was planning the way to accomplishment in his mind during this time. He was praying, God, how can I be used? I'll tell you, Christians, that's something that we need to do more often. How many times do we find ourselves praying, Oh God, I want, this, I want you to do this for me. I want you to do this for me. I want you to do this for me. Where I think more accurately and more beneficial to God's kingdom would be, Okay, God, how can I be used of you for your purpose? Tell me how I can help you in ministry. Now look again how Nehemiah addresses the king and queen when the time was right. Still in chapter 2, let's look at verses 5 through 8 as I read. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Then I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. You see, Nehemiah does four basic things here. 
and this is so important, I'm going to end on this, but this is so important. Four things we can see from Nehemiah about setting and obtaining a goal. He does four things in putting his goal and vision into action. First of all, Nehemiah did not tell the king that God ordered him to go and build the walls. Mm -mm. He wisely realized that only God can mold a person's heart. Only God can make a person's heart fit into his plan. He didn't insist and try to sway the king. No, he let God do that through four months of praying. When you come up with oppositions and stuff, or you feel you're going to have opposition to your goal, uh, your task, whatever God is putting before you to do in your life, whatever it is, remember, you can't really sway people. Uh, a lot of people try that. I taught school, high school, for uh, many years. Well, I've actually taught many different grades besides high school. But the thing is, I've had students try and sway me on things. And I've tried to sway some students' minds on things. And I'll tell you, <laughs> you need God to do that. Second thing Nehemiah teaches us here. He spent time praying and waiting until the time was right. He didn't try to force the matter, but let God have charge of the vision. He didn't, wow, okay, I got this vision right here in November, December. Okay, he didn't make an audience with the king that night. Hey, I got this vision, and this is coming to me from God, so you've got to do this. No, 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 no. He took the time praying, waiting until the time was just right. The third thing, he obviously spent time planning things out in his mind. Did you catch all the things that he asked for? He knew what was needed. He knew the assistance that was going to be required. We have a word for that. It's called organized. Nehemiah was organized. When you set your goal, when you set your task, you need to start getting organized from day one. Start planning things. You don't have to go out and discuss. Talk to God. Let God give you the insight on how to do it. But you start getting organized. God is a God of organization. You don't believe me? Just look at nature. Nature is not random. Everything is exact and is beautifully designed. Faith and organization are not opposite poles on a magnet. They work together. God wants you to plan. He wants us all to plan. He gives you a goal, start planning. That's a really important lesson, folks. And then the fourth one, and the final thing. As Nehemiah was requesting these letters and stuff, he was expecting opposition. Prepare for opposition. Prepare for opposition. Nehemiah knew he needed letters from the king because he's going to be going to a place that not everybody's going to be too happy about his goal. Not everybody's going to be on the same page as him. Listen to me. When you are going to do something, especially if you're doing something for God, it is almost guaranteed that at least one person is going to stand up and oppose you. Plan for that. Expect that. And start planning how you're going to deal with it. Well, that's all we have time for in here. But those four keys are so important in setting up a goal. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for this time we've had. And I pray for all the people who are sitting here listening, 
or listening on the internet, Lord, that as you put goals and tasks and visions in their minds, that they see what you have given us as a guideline on how to do it. Help us, Lord, to read your word. Give us a hunger. May your spirit just give us a hunger that cannot be quenched by chips and dip, but Lord, only the word of God, speaking and listening to you. And I ask that your spirit continue to teach upon the minds. In Jesus' name, amen.